Well, this week, Tuesday, anybody know what day it is? Some said April 1st, some say April Fool's Day. Uh, yes, uh, many know it as April Fool's Day, so you may think my message is a couple days early, a message for fools, uh, and maybe it is, uh, but I want to talk to you this morning about a message for fools. When I titled this message at first, in fact, the title in your bulletin that I had given Mary was a message for fools, and then I thought, well, I've got to be careful because then everybody just might walk out because everybody's going to say, well, I'm not a fool, so I'm just going to walk out and not be here. So I thought, well, I'll change the title to A Message for Fools and Those Who Know Them, and uh, you will have to determine which category you fit into. You will have to decide if you are the fool or someone who just knows one. If you're sitting here and you say, well, I don't know any fools, well, you might be in the other category. Um, <laughs> I'll let you determine that. April Fool's Day is a strange day. Uh, I, I tried to look up the origin of it, um, and, and there's really no uh, definitive origin for April Fool's Day. Please don't go on Wikipedia right now. Just trust me. There is no definitive origin for April Fool's Day. Um, some people attribute it to the Gregorian calendar change uh, that the uh, Catholic Church made when they changed the uh, year to starting on January 1st, where most cultures and cultures and societies celebrated it near the end of March, near the beginning of spring. That's often where the new year was celebrated. So the change to January 1st, uh, the thought is that people who continued to celebrate it on April 1st were considered fools. And so maybe that was the beginning of it. But that doesn't really explain it well because uh, for some reason, many ancient cultures, uh, going back to Persia, uh, Nordic cultures, even the Jewish cultures, for some reason in their history have some kind of frivolity, a joking, jesting associated with the beginning of spring. So I don't know what brings that about, um, but that's uh, within it. So uh, there's all kinds of April Fool's jokes that have taken place over the years, uh, I won't go through all of those. I'm sure you have your favorites. Uh, my favorite as a kid that I only did once uh, was wrapping electrical tape around the uh, sprayer on the kitchen sink. You ever done that? A lot of kitchen sinks don't have that anymore, but you know what I'm talking about, that little black sprayer? Yeah, is it used to use to kind of take out and wash the dishes. Well, if you wrap electrical tape around it, the second somebody turns the water on in the morning, they get sprayed with the uh, water. Uh, so I only did that once. You can guess, guess why. Um, but there's all kinds of April. No, it wasn't last year. Whoever asked that. No. Uh, but uh, there's all kinds of jokes and pranks that people try and pull. But nobody likes to be on the other end of the April Fool's joke, right? Nobody likes to be the butt of the joke. Nobody likes to play the fool. Nobody likes to be the one hearing the words April Fool's. Uh, there was one year that Sports Illustrated played a little April Fool's joke on New York Mets fans, which is just cruel because Mets fans have a hard existence as it is. But they played this joke and they said the Mets had drafted a pitcher who was a, uh, a Tibetan uh, a monk who had learned how to throw a baseball 163 miles per hour. And, and Mets fans were calling up wanting to know more about this guy. 
that, uh, that, that the Mets had drafted. Their hopes were resting on this Tibetan monk, which turned out to be just an April Fool's joke. <laughs> Nobody likes to be on the other side of the joke. But when it comes to playing a fool, according to the Bible, we may end up playing the fool more times than we realize. In fact, when we look at what the Bible has to say about fool, folly and being a fool, uh, we may not realize it that there are many times in our lives and many places in our lives, even those of us that sit in church on a regular basis, end up playing the fool at times. And so I want us to look this morning at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Ecclesiastes is known, as we've been going through it, as a book of wisdom. It's a part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And being the wisdom literature, it talks about a wise way to live. And one of the things in, a, in this letter, in this book that was written, uh, is the difference between wisdom and foolishness, or the difference between wisdom and folly. And so I want to look just at these first three verses this morning and really focus in on this really first verse. But let me read the first three verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and here's, what, uh, here's what's written. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and, it, and shows everyone how stupid he is. The fool. The first verse indicates, and I really want to focus in on just that first verse really this morning, a dead fly, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. This idea that even though a person can have a life that in many ways is wise and honorable, in many ways is upright and good, that it doesn't take a whole lot to ruin that life. Uh, the writer says it's a fly in the ointment. You could have this amazing bottle of perfume that has this beautiful smell to it, and as strong as it is, it takes nothing but a few flies rotting away to ruin the entire scent of the perfume. And the writer Solomon says it's the same way with life, it's the same way with wisdom, and it's the same way with folly. You may endeavor to live a wise life, but if you allow a few places of foolishness in your life, you ruin the whole thing. And we know that in our day and age, right? That there are so many people that you could probably name, come up with a list of people who in our day and age, it was only one blog post one stupid picture taken and sent, one silly line, one silly conversation that got recorded, one thing that all of a sudden a life that was, uh, seemed to be all together was ruined in an instant, that a reputation that took a lifetime to build up was lost in a moment. The writer says, just like flies in the ointment, a little bit of folly can ruin a life of wisdom and honor. If that's true and we don't want to play the fool, then the question becomes is who is a fool? What is foolishness? If we were to ask, you know, you what you thought foolish was, we'd probably get a lot of different definitions. Possibly some people might think, well, the fool is 
something to do with IQ or something to do with our intellectual ability. Or maybe someone thinks, well, the fool is the one who always ends up the butt of the joke or the fool is always the one who's the gullible one. And and those things may be true in some sense of the definition of the word, but what a fool is according to God and according to God's word and according to the Bible is very clear. God makes no question about the definition of a fool when it comes to what he thinks is foolish. It's found in a few places, but one uh, very particular, one that's very clear is Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, and it says this, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. We're going to look this morning at what is a fool and why is it so important, important to avoid becoming a fool. What is a fool? A fool, according to Scripture, is someone who in their heart does not believe that God exists. A fool is someone in their heart who does not believe that God exists. Now, when I first make that statement, you might immediately jump to uh, some well-known atheists. Maybe your mind jumps to Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawking, and you think that this verse is about them, Uh, the atheist, the agnostic, someone in your life who doesn't acknowledge God, and you think, well, they're fools, But what's interesting to me about this definition, it says, is the fool says in his heart that there is no God. It doesn't necessarily get verbalized, as you might hear in a debate with a well-known atheist, but it gets lived out that the belief in the heart is that God does not exist. And that's really the biblical understanding. The biblical understanding of what a fool is, if someone who lives their life as if God does not exist. It's foolish, the Bible says. And the reason it's foolish is because living like God doesn't exist forsakes your greatest strength or asset and ignores your greatest threat. Living as if God doesn't exist is foolish because you forsake what could be your greatest strength and you ignore what could be your greatest threat. If we did a SWOT analysis of the fool, some of you are familiar with a SWOT analysis from work or from other places. If we did a SWOT analysis of the fool, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, uh, the way the Bible defines a fool, we would say that uh, the fool has given up his greatest strength because he has forsaken the fact that God has made himself available, made his power available, made him his presence available, and you have said, no, thank you, I want want to live my life on my own and in my own strength. And so the fool has forsaken his greatest strength. The Bible says that's foolish. The person who doesn't believe God exists creates a new weakness for themselves because now they have to do everything in their own strength and not with the help of God. And the Bible says that's foolish. The person who tries to live their life like God doesn't exist, misses some of the greatest opportunities in their life. The opportunity to partner with the creator of the universe for their good and for to be a blessing to others and misses out on God's ultimate plan for their life, which is for their ultimate good, and so they miss out on the greatest opportunity. And they ignore the greatest threat or obstacle in their life. And you say, well, I don't like to think of God as a threat, or I don't like to think of God as an obstacle. 
Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 said this. He was sending out his disciples. He said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Those are people. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The reason living like God doesn't exist is foolish is because it ignores the reality that this life is short and though there may be people in this world who may be a threat to your physical body, eternity is much longer than any time that any of us will spend on earth. And so a fool ignores what can happen to us in eternity by denying the existence of God. So God says it's foolish. Living like a God doesn't exist is foolish because it forsakes our confidence in God and lives as if there are no consequences to our actions. It's foolish because the, the, the way a fool lives is they don't put their confidence in God and they don't think there's any consequence to their actions. Let me give you a couple examples, uh, a couple examples from the Bible to kind of illustrate what I'm saying. Uh, David was one of the greatest kings over God's people, one of the greatest leaders the Bible ever tells us about. It says that David was a man after God's own heart, everything going for him. But as flies can pollute perfume, so a little sin and a little folly can pollute even a great and wise life. So there was a point in David's life when he was king where he wanted to know how many men were in his army. How strong was he? You know, what battles could he win? And God told him, no, 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 don't, don't go count. Don't, don't count the men that are in your army. And David went about and did it anyway. And he wanted to know, how many men do I have who can fight? And the reason God told him not to do that, not to make that count, is because when he did that, David was taking his confidence away from God and putting it in the people in his army. And God was saying, no, 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 it doesn't matter how many people are in your army. Haven't you learned this lesson yet? It matters that I am Lord of the people in your army, and that's really what matters. And so put your confidence in me. But David didn't do that, and he was foolish, and he recognized it as so. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10, it says this, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, listen, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. Now listen to this last sentence. I have done a very foolish thing. I have done a very foolish thing. Why was it foolish? Because David was acting as if God didn't exist. David was leading the country and leading the army as if God didn't exist. Wasn't David a man of God? Yep. Man after God's own heart? Yep. Went to church all the time? Oh, yeah. Gave to God? Oh, yeah. And yet he acted foolishly because he acted in a way as if God wasn't in control and didn't exist. His predecessor, Saul, did a similar thing one time. Instead of waiting for the man of God to offer a sacrifice before the battle, Saul said, I can't wait anymore. I'm going to do it myself. Samuel came and he said, what have you done? Do you, do, basically, he said, do you think there aren't going to be any consequences? Do you think you can just, just 
throw off God's rules and not have any consequences? He said, God has taken his spirit from you and given it to another. See, the fool lives not putting his confidence in God and as if there are no consequences from God. And here's the thing. David was someone who trusted God like you, like me. The reality is you and I can sit in church week after week. We can sing with our mouths. We can give in an offering. We can go about many of the motions that we would in church and still have places in our lives where we live as if God doesn't exist and still have places in our lives where we are living like a fool. And it only takes a little foolishness to ruin a whole life. We know that in our world. If I say Bill Clinton to you, you may think President of the United States, you may think Governor of Arkansas, but at some point you're going to jump to Monica Lewinsky. And they're inextricably linked. If I say Barry Bonds to you, before uh, he had taken performance-enhancing drugs, you may have thought, great baseball player, sure thing, Hall of Famer. And now you can't say his name without thinking someone who used steroids. Or if I say Lance Armstrong, you don't think Tour de France winner seven times? You don't. They took the Tour de France wins away. You don't think... uh, uh, person who really championed the cause of cancer and and championed cancer research, you think cheater. And a lifetime of wisdom or a lifetime of good can be ruined in a moment. And so the Bible says a little foolishness and a little folly can ruin a whole life of wisdom and a life of honor. The reality is we're supposed to smell a certain way, but we're supposed to smell good to God and to others who follow them. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. What this passage means is this. You smell and I smell, and that's okay. But you're supposed to smell good to God and smell good to those who follow him. And those who don't follow them, you're probably going to smell pretty bad. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying it's like, there'll be people that don't follow God, they're not going to want to be around you. It's like you smell bad. Why? Because Paul says it's like you're carrying the stench of death with you. Why? Because you're a reminder that there's something beyond this life, that there's a God outside of this world, that there's a judgment that they have rejected and they don't want to think about and they don't want to follow and so it smells bad to them. And that's what Paul's saying, so don't be surprised. The problem is when we start smelling bad to God and good to the world. 
When we've allowed a little foolishness to come into our lives, it changed the way we smell. When we act and live as if God doesn't exist, it changes the way we smell at times. So people in the world at times, we try and gain favor with men instead of living in fear of God. And a little foolishness can ruin a life of wisdom and a life of honor. If a fool is someone who lives as if God does not exist and if a little foolishness can ruin the aroma of life, then the natural question that must be raised is this. Even though you may confess to believe in God, is there any place in your life that you are living like a fool? Is there any corner of your life, of my life, that we are living as if God doesn't exist? Is there any place in your life that you are not placing your confidence in God, but instead putting your confidence in yourself? Is there any place in your life, in my life, where we have forsaken God's direction for our own and believing that there won't be any consequences? Is there any place in our lives where we are living like a fool? I think there can be many places we're tempted to do it. There can be many places we're tempted to live like a fool. Even as we attend church on Sunday, maybe there are places we're tempted to live like a fool. You get up in the morning, and maybe you have your cup of coffee, and you have your uh, Bible, and you have your prayer time, and you spend time with the Lord, and you spend time in God's presence, but then you leave the house for work, and the Bible stays there, and the prayer stays there, and everything spiritual stays there, and you go to the workplace. And the thought of praying or asking God or committing any of your day or, or getting God involved in your day doesn't even come into the picture. That when a difficulty comes, you don't pray, you just work harder. That when a decision comes, you don't try and line it up against God's word, you just try and make the best decision for, for in your own wisdom. And in a sense, you work as if God doesn't really exist. Like God isn't in your workplace. Like God didn't go there with you. We go about our day and we live our lives and we do our work as if God exists in the church or in our spiritual corner of our home, but he doesn't really exist in our workplace. Or maybe you go to school and you love and you praise God at church, but Monday morning you walk into your school and it's like God isn't even someone you know. The Bible says that's foolishness. And a little foolishness can ruin a life of wisdom and a life of honor. Or you get a medical diagnosis and you never even think, to, what is God doing? You never even think to come to the Lord and in prayer, but it's immediately you're, you're, you're fearful and anxious. Immediately you're overcome with, with fear and anxiety and you're running from this book to that book to this doctor to that doctor to this instead of running to the Lord saying, God, give me direction. Give me leading. Show me. Lord, I'm in your hands. Lord, lead me to the right doctors. Lord, show me the right place to go. God is involved everywhere. See, a fool lives like God doesn't 
exist. In your relationships. You know that the Bible talks about being equally yoked together with believers, that that when we make vows to one another, especially when you make a marriage vow, that it should be between a man and a woman who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ to not go into a relationship and make a, a lifelong covenant vow to someone who does not have the same core Christian beliefs as you, but you come to that place and you say, well, I think I know better than God. And you live as if God doesn't exist. You live as if my confidence isn't in God to bring me someone that loves Jesus and my confidence and and there's no consequence to forsaking and throwing off the direction of God. I mean, these are the places where the rubber meets the road where at times we're tempted to live as if God doesn't exist. You know that the scriptures teach that uh, sexual intimacy is to be reserved between, for a covenant relationship between a husband and wife in marriage, but everybody else is doing it. And why not? And so you forsake and you throw off godly rules, pretending that there are no consequences to the action and not having confidence that God has your best interest in mind, that if you wait that God has your best interest in mind and at heart, but you live as if God doesn't exist. The Bible says it's foolish. That's foolish. And a little foolishness can ruin a life of wisdom and of honor. And so this verse and this warning against foolishness, I don't think is so much a warning to the, to the atheists and the agnostics of our age. I really think it's a warning to us who proclaim to follow Christ. Where in my life am I living as a fool? Where in my life am I living as if God is not involved in every intimate detail? Where in my life am I living as if God doesn't care? Where in my life am I depending more upon me than leaning on God's Holy Spirit? Because those are the places that I live like a fool. But it is possible to be wise. That's the good news. It is possible to live a wise life, and you don't have to go on some mountain in the Himalayas in Tibet to become wise. And you don't have to be a recluse someplace to become wise. The Bible gives us a very simple prescription. You don't have to have some great seminary education to be wise. The Bible gives us a very simple, clear, concrete prescription for wisdom. And it's found in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Would you say that with me? and puts them into practice. Let's say it again. And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Both here. The difference is one puts them into practice and one doesn't and one's wise and one's a fool. And the way to wisdom is to hear the words of God and to put them into practice. That's the difference. Putting them into practice, another word for that might be discipline or sometimes we talk about the spiritual disciplines. 
that putting the words of Christ into practice. Dallas Willard was a uh, theologian and philosopher. He passed away last year. He was a uh, professor of philosophy at USC as a Christian uh, for 50 years, um, which is amazing. And the, the thought of uh, that that would ever happen again, that you get a Christian who trusts in Christ to be a philosophy professor at a major university like USC is, is quite unusual. But he wrote this book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And he said, this is what a discipline is. A discipline is doing today what it is in your power to do so that you can do tomorrow what you can't do today. All right? Doing today what it is in your power to do so that you can do tomorrow what you can't do today. Right? So he gives the example of this. I want to speak a foreign language. If I want to speak a foreign language, I don't get up and say, okay, now I'm going to speak French. Now I'm going to speak Spanish. It doesn't happen that way, right? I need to do today, learn words, vocabulary, language, grammar, structure, so that tomorrow, maybe I can speak French, right? I'll do today what I can do so that I can do tomorrow what I can't do today. You want to run the Boston Marathon. If you want to run the Boston Marathon, you haven't started training yet, it's too late. Right? I mean, you, you, have, you have to train to do these things. But if you will train, if you will go out and discipline your body, and you will train for months and get up your lung capacity and get, build up your muscles and build up your endurance and build up your strength, then you can do tomorrow what you can't do today. And it's the same thing with wisdom that if you will begin to put into practice the teachings of Christ today, doing what you can today, then tomorrow you can be that wise person that you long to be. It happens through constant discipline and putting into practice the words of Christ. And you might look at some of those words of Christ, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, and say, I just don't even think I can do that. Do the next right thing you can do today. And that'll help you do tomorrow what you can't even dream of doing today. You discipline yourself. Dallas Willard, a couple of things, I love Dallas Willard, and a couple other things that he says is this. He says there's a difference between trying and training, and too often in the Christian life, we rely on trying instead of on training. Right? We just, well, I can't, I can't so I'm just going to try harder. I'm not acting like Jesus enough, so I'm just going to try harder instead of training ourselves in disciplines to be more like Christ. He also, one more Dallas Willard quote, he says this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace, some people think, well, it's just God's grace and I'll just become wise and God will make me wise. You know, God will make me wise. I just sit and I'll put my Bible under my pillow and I'll have enough Bibles in the house and I'll have enough worship music on and I'll listen to some podcasts and I'll go to church and I will become wise. It's about effort. Part of becoming more like Christ and discipline is putting forth an effort. Not about earning but it is about training. 
And so let me just make it a little more concrete. If you go to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and go through that Sermon on the Mount, chapters five through seven of Matthew, and just look at starting to put those things into practice as a discipline in your life. So Jesus talks about forgiveness and loving your enemy. And you say, there's some people in my life who have really hurt me, and I don't know if I can forgive them. But if you will start practicing the discipline of trusting God and not having to be right, the discipline of allowing God to be your justice, right? Because if God exists, and there is life after this life, and there is judgment, and all of that that we believe, then you don't have to take revenge. Then you don't have to be the final word. If life under the sun is all there is, then get your pound of flesh. But if we're going to live wisely and not foolishly, and there is a God who exists, and there is life after this life, then I can say, God, I release it to you. You are my justice. God, I can repay evil with good, because that's what God asks us to do. God says, "Don't, don't, don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. And I could say, I can not only uh, let go of it, I can pray for you, and I can pray that God will bless you because God exists, and I don't have to get revenge. Jesus talks about fasting. What's fasting? We often think about fasting. We say, oh, that's so hard. I don't know if I can do that. That's, how can I be? What's fa- All fasting is, is, is giving up food for a certain period of time, a meal or day or two days or three, whatever period of time that you decide between you and the Lord to remind your body that the most important thing isn't satisfying your stomach, but the most important thing is being satisfied in God. And so it's just a discipline. And so you do that, you train your body to remind yourself physically that my most important need is to be satisfied in God and not satisfy the needs of my stomach. Jesus talks about giving in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, uh, you know, give to those who are in need and don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And maybe that's, maybe that's the area that's a struggle for you. Maybe you struggle with generosity. Maybe you struggle with giving. This is an easy one to illustrate because you just start with giving something away today. Just start with giving something away today. Give something to someone in need today. You, you no doubt come across people in your life that have needs, give them something today. And you will find, maybe you say, oh, I've heard about tithing 10%. I could never do that. And you never will if you never start training yourself to do it. If you train yourself, suddenly you start giving things away and you realize how fun it is. And you realize how wonderful it is to be able to be generous but it's training yourself. It's training yourself not to have to have recognition. Give yourself, give something away without anyone else knowing. And then suddenly it becomes a part of your nature. What disciplines do is they change your natural response. They change your natural response. My natural response is to keep everything for myself. Build up my bank account, keep everything I have, you know, put it away for the future. My natural response is to watch out for me. 
But if I will start training myself, and if you will start training yourself in the natural response of giving, then what happens is my natural response becomes to give. My natural response becomes looking for opportunities to be a blessing. Disciplines change our natural response to things. And so the way to live wisely is to hear and listen to the words of Jesus and to put them into practice. And so I ask you the question again. Where in your life are you living like a fool? Where in your life, as you examine your heart, where in your life are you living as if God doesn't exist? Where in your life have you not put your confidence in God? Instead of saying, God, I don't understand it. God, I have more questions than answers. But God, I trust that you are in control. God, I trust that it's not about my effort. God, I trust that it's not about what I can do apart from you. It's about what you can do through me. Where do you need to put your confidence in God? Or where in your life have you been living as if there are no consequences for forsaking God? Have you been making your own rules, making your own way to live, and living as if there's no consequences to it. Foolishly living, the Bible would call that. Because it's living as if God doesn't exist. We've called this series Life Under the Sun, but the reality is we believe that life is really under the sun, S-O-N, and there is, there are consequences, and there is reason to put our confidence in God. Because this life under this burning star isn't all there is. That there is a God who deserves and desires our life lived for him. Richard Dawkins, biologist, uh, he said this in one of his books. He said, on a scale of one to seven, where one is certitude that God exists, and seven is certitude that God does not exist. Dawkins rates himself a six. He says, I cannot know for certain, but I think God is very improbable. And I live my life on the assumption that he is not there. My question is, do you live your life on the assumption that he is? Do we live our lives... As Richard Dawkins is certain enough to live his life and stake his eternity on his thought that God is not there, are you and I certain enough and living our lives as if God is? When you come against a problem, when you come against the challenge, when you come against the difficulty in life, are we living and putting our trust in God enough because we know that God exists? When something doesn't work out the way that you expected it, when the job doesn't go exactly the way you planned it, when you fall short, do you trust that God is still in control? When someone you had around you falls short, do you trust that God is still in control? Because that is living wisely. To know that God, this is God's world. I have a very small part in it. But the part I have, I will live wisely by putting my trust in God.
So my challenge to you is this. This week, Tuesday, is April Fool's Day. So my challenge to you is make it April Wise Day. My challenge to you is whatever place in your life where you are not putting your full 100% confidence in God or you are forsaking God's commands, that Tuesday you would make some tangible step on that day and let April Fool's Day on the calendar remind you. When somebody plays a joke on you, remind you and say, oh yeah, Pastor Rick asked me to do something today. What was I supposed to do? Take a tangible step to live wisely. If you have been living as if God doesn't exist in your finances, then take a tangible step on Tuesday to do something to show that God, I believe you exist and my trust is in you. If you have been living as if God doesn't exist in your relationships, then do something on that day and start doing something that says, no, God, I trust that you exist. If you have been living like God doesn't exist in your health situation, then take something, take a tangible step and say, no, I am going to live wisely, not as a fool. Monday is the, uh, Tuesday is the atheist's holiday, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. We have a day for them. Everyone gets a day. The atheists get Tuesday. But you can live wisely, living, knowing that God does exist. So whatever that place in your life is, where God may be even teaching you, maybe you know now, there's a place that I haven't been putting my confidence in him and I've been ignoring the consequences. Take a step to live wisely this Tuesday. As our worship team comes, I want to close out in prayer. And during this time of worship, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts And I encourage you to search your heart. Is there any place in your life where you're playing the fool? Because a few flies spoil the whole perfume. And a few acts of folly in our life, a few places in our life when we are living as if God doesn't exist, ruin a life of wisdom and a life of honor. I leave you with the words of Jim Elliott, missionary to the Aka Indians, South America, who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts this morning and that truth would reign in our hearts. Because, Lord, the truth is we can so easily deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves into thinking our confidence and our trust is in you when our confidence and trust is really in ourselves or in our money or in our friends or in our family or in our pleasures or whatever else there is. We can deceive ourselves, Lord, and we can actually live our lives in a way that is if you don't exist. And Lord, in the place where we live in the United States of America in the 21st century, it may be an easier context than any other in history. We have most our needs provided for. There's not even a whole lot of wants at times. And it makes it easy for us to live as a fool, to forget that every blessing is from you. 
and every good thing is from you. And so, Lord, search our hearts. And if there be any place, any part of our life where we are living like you're not involved, like you don't care, then, Lord, cleanse us of that and help us to make the change from living foolishly to living wisely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close our service out and worship to him?